Welcome to the Carlina Show podcast. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin. Today is Monday, June 11th, 2018, and this is episode two of the podcast. Today on the show, we have Stephanie Jones. Stephanie has a master's degree in counseling. She's a yoga teacher and a wounded healer. I met Stephanie last September at a trauma-sensitive yoga workshop she facilitated, and I reached out to her recently and invited her to come on the show to talk about the workshop and how she incorporates Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. She'll talk about the nine gateways of the healing journey, but before we get to that, Stephanie takes us through her personal journey from rock bottom to healing, and sharing her story with others is like medicine. She's proof that healing is possible, and also telling her story is medicine for herself as well. This episode will be useful for trauma survivors, family members, health and wellness professionals who want to better understand their patient's trauma, and anyone who is interested in how trauma manifests in the body and resources that are available to begin the healing process. We include links to the resources mentioned in the show notes. So please help me welcome Stephanie Jones. Stephanie, tell me, what is a a wounded healer? Mm. A wounded healer is someone who has had to bear the unbearable, who has been through the dark night of the soul, and someone who's come out on the other side with a gift. And uh, that gift is their own healing. And because they've received the gift of healing, it's now their responsibility to share that gift and that healing with the world. And so that, to me, is what a wounded healer is. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so take us back. Um, how old are you? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. I am 32. I'll be 33 in a month. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And just, yeah, go ahead and just tell us a little bit about your life right now. Like, you have... Um, a daughter? I have a daughter. I have two daughters, one who's earthside and one who has transitioned into the great beyond, the great mystery. Okay. And I have a son who's five years old. Oh, my okay. daughter is three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a mother of young children and I'm also a yoga teacher mm-hmm. and, um, I am starting to emerge from the, the time of being at home with my young ones back out into the world. Uh-huh. So I'm venturing into creating a nonprofit and starting to reinvest in my career a little bit more now yeah. that my kids are getting older and I'm gaining some more independence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I met you in September mm-hmm. of last year and I, I came here to Toes Yoga and had a, a, a trauma-sensitive workshop mm-hmm. with you um, and, and Ricky. Ricky, <laughs> yes. Ricky Donahoe. Yeah, um, in September. And, um, and it's, it, it's, it's stuck with me since then. And when I, when I thought about having this podcast and talking to people who have been through their own hero's journey, um, you were one of the first people that came to mind. And so I'm just really excited that I um, get to have you on the show and that we can kind of delve deeper into your hero's journey. Um, because I remember one of the components of the workshop was, was um, the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. You covered it. And in a different way than I had heard it before, I thought this is really interesting that, you know, that there's the hero, the hero's journey for, for trauma, trauma recovery mm-hmm. or, um, and so, 
so I want to I want to talk a little bit about all of that today. But let's let's go ahead. Let's start back. Um, you mentioned that you have um, one daughter, uh, twin. Well, mm-hmm. twins. Twins. Yeah. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That was um, one of the hardest moments in my life. I had a very complicated twin pregnancy. My twins were diagnosed with twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which a very brief description of what that means is one twin was receiving more blood flow and uh, fluids and so on than the other twin. And we were told, I think around 23 weeks, that one of our twins was in stage four heart failure and also had high drops, so had a lot of fluid uh, around her heart and um, all over her body. And so we went to the Cincinnati Fetal Hospital or the, their children's hospital to have a lot of tests done with the girls. And there weren't a lot of clear answers. And so we were sent home kind of hoping for the best and waiting. And then at 26 weeks, my water broke. And immediately I was standing on the edge of the unknown uh, Am I going to lose these babies? Am, are these babies going to be born today? Um, really faced with a lot of dread and terror. And so I went to the hospital and with technology was able to stop the labor. And there I was kind of a sitting duck, so to speak, just sitting in the hospital waiting. I was on bed rest for basically until the girls were ready to be born. For as long as possible, we were trying to stay, Mm -hmm. uh, keep them in the womb. And so I was there in the hospital, and all I had with me, I had a lot of support, family and my husband there, but I also had the book Polishing the Mirror by Ram Dass, and he's one of my favorite teachers. And I was reading that book while I was in the hospital and doing a lot of meditation, And there's a chapter in the book about contentment. And in yoga, we call that santosha. It's one of the yamas. Or excuse me, one of the niyamas. And contentment is something in our Western culture, we think everything has to be perfect and peaceful and joyful in order to find contentment. And in yoga, we're prompted to practice contentment even in the hardest of times, that it's possible to find contentment. Contentment is simply being complete into the, in the moment, mm-hmm. just being complete. And so I did a lot of practice uh, with contentment to see if it was possible, and I found indeed it is. It's possible to find some sense of wholeness and completeness in the midst of chaos And so just shy of 29 weeks, my girls were born and rushed up to the NICU. And it was a very traumatic, um, like TV-like dramatic birth where they're running me down the hallway on the, whatever that thing is, the gurney, is it the gurney? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Felt like hundreds of doctors all around. And anyway, it was um, a really intense birth. And the girls were brought up to the NICU, and I did not get to see them until later that night. They were born in the morning. 
And so I was in recovery for most of the day before I was able to even get up to the NICU to see them. And, you know, they were both micro preemies and really tiny and no one should ever see a child that little. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I got some time to bond with them and talk to them. And 10 days after birth, Juniper, our smallest twin, is the one who passed away. And it was, um, it was the hardest moment of my life. Uh, it felt like a piece of my heart died in that moment. And yet, strangely, it was also the most peaceful moment of my life, too. <clears throat> I was able to hold her as she transitioned. And I was able to read to her a poem by Thich Nhat Hanh, and it's a Buddhist poem for those who are preparing for that transition or death, or for those who have recently transitioned. And it was a beautiful sacred moment that I had with her, and it was the first time I was able to hold her. And so um, that moment or everything leading up to that moment propelled me into the hero's journey and really in the depths of that, that dark night of the soul. That's to me, is the only way I can describe that experience. And so Juniper passed away, and our surviving twin, Tallulah, kept thriving and doing better and better, and she had a heart surgery, during her time in the NICU. She was in the NICU for 73 days. Yeah. And um, I experienced an immense amount of what would be diagnosed as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, severe anxiety and uh, panic attacks and, you know, moments, a lot of insomnia and a lot of, basically bracing myself for the next horrible thing that was going to happen mm -hmm. is how I felt. I was living moment to moment of just constantly like, oh, what's next? What's next? And uh, luckily, I've been practicing yoga for half of my life. So I had that resource and I knew I needed to get back on my mat as quickly as possible to start this healing journey and it's true that as soon as I got back onto my mat, the healing journey started or able to discharge a lot of the, the stress and the fight or flight. Um, it was lingering for a long time, and I still every now and then will have residue of it coming mm -hmm. back up to the surface. But the practice is what saved me and what kept me from spiraling even further down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what... Um when did you get your degree in counseling? I got my degree in, let's see, 2011, okay. I think. Yeah. Okay. It would have been uh, December okay. of 2011. Okay. Um, and so that was a couple, that was... This was in 2015. Okay. Yeah, that okay. my daughter passed away. Okay. Okay. Um, and so... When did you start um, 
doing the trauma sensitive yoga? Hmm. That has been like this. I feel like it's always been with me on some level without mm-hmm. having the words to describe what it was I was doing. Mm-hmm. My dear friend, Ricky, she and I went to a workshop shortly after I graduated my 200-hour yoga teacher training program mm-hmm. in Savannah, Georgia, mm-hmm. Savannah Yoga Center. And it was literally, I think, a week after I graduated, we went to this weekend-long training called, uh, it was Yoga Ed, Yoga for At-Risk Youth and Adults, and led by Hala Corey. And she's a somatic counselor, and she also is one of the founders of Off the Mat Into the World, which is an amazing nonprofit. And we did her training, and she is the one who introduced us to the idea of trauma and how people are impacted by traumatic experiences. And it was there that we both, Ricky and I both had these aha moments like, oh, wow, you know, we actually are traumatized people Um, based on childhood experiences. I grew up with an alcoholic father Mm -hmm. and the dynamics of that kind of family of living with someone who's in active addiction and, Mm -hmm. and then growing up, taking on a lot of codependent behaviors of trying to save and fix and help my dad. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I might be backtracking a little bit with all of this, but uh, my dad was hit by a drunk driver when I was 21 and he passed away 19 days after he was hit by a drunk driver. So, I mean, it's very ironic how Mm -hmm. symbolic or synchronistic, I don't know how all of this has come together and again, it was another one of those dark nights of the soul. Those, those two deaths have been very defining moments in my life that mm-hmm. have propelled me forward in my own healing journey, mm-hmm. or my awakening journey. And it was this moment at the, um, the retreat or at the workshop where you met Ricky that you realized that you had trauma, had been experiencing trauma? Yeah. So I, exper- I, I, okay, I was 21 when my dad passed away. And I had been practicing yoga since I was 16 at Mm -hmm. that point. And, you know, I was also nearing my, finishing my undergraduate degree and trying to figure out my next steps. And I did not know what I wanted to do. And I was laying in Shavasana one day in yoga. And I had this, again, another aha moment where it was this realization, this is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. The call. It was finally time to answer the call Mm -hmm. that I am meant to teach yoga. I'm meant to share yoga because this is what has helped me mm-hmm. heal on so many levels, but especially with my dad's death, that being one of the first big experiences I've ever had with death. Mm-hmm. And so I pursued my teacher training. In fact, actually it was Ricky mm-hmm. who was my teacher is the one who inspired me to do my teacher training program okay. in Savannah. So I knew Ricky before I'd even become a yoga teacher. Okay. And I invited her down. I told her about this workshop with Hala Corey and invited her down. Mm-hmm. And so she came and we got to connect again as friends, but also as teachers for the first time together. Mm-hmm. And that was the realization like, oh, wow. I think before I'd always minimized the hard experiences I'd had, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, my life's not been as bad as other people's in the world. So mm-hmm. therefore... Yeah. It wasn't trauma. Mm-hmm. 
And then, in fact, like trauma, by definition, is bearing the unbearable. Mm-hmm. All of us have had to do that yeah. at some point in our life mm-hmm. to varying degrees, but we've all had to do it. Mm-hmm. And we've all experienced trauma. It doesn't mean we're traumatized, but we've all experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so... Um, yeah, that was, that was like the, the big moment of realization of how, are, how am I going to begin to incorporate this understanding into mm-hmm. the people that I work with? Mm-hmm. And that was the, one of those moments where I decided I, I wanted to go for my master's degree in counseling. Mm-hmm. And originally I wanted to focus on grief because that, that has been one of my mm-hmm. uh, motivating experiences mm-hmm. of, for healing was mm-hmm. through grief. And growing through it and with it and transforming grief into something mm-hmm. powerful and healing. And so uh, I, I went for my master's degree in counseling and then I got pregnant and then life changed mm-hmm. and I did not pursue my licensure after graduating. With I didn't pursue my licensure with counseling and I continued yoga. And so that whole time of, you know, literally gestating mm-hmm. and growing a child also gave me some time and space to start to figure out what is it that I really want to do mm-hmm. and how do I want to blend these two pieces that I am really passionate about, the yoga and the counseling. How am I going to bring these together? Mm-hmm. And it was probably shortly after my son was born where I experienced what I would consider some birth trauma. A lot of unexpected things happened, things mm-hmm. that did, I did not plan for mm-hmm. and uh, went against everything that I thought was going to happen with birth. How old is he? He's five. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, so processing that really, I mean, birth in itself is life-changing mm-hmm. and raising a child's life-changing. And having some time to process and reflect on that experience was what allowed me to realize the bridge between the yoga and the counseling for me is trauma Mm -hmm. because grief falls under that umbrella as well. And I identify as a trauma survivor. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is what brings it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when was the first time you offered the trauma sensitive yoga workshop with Mm -hmm. Ricky? Let's see. That would have been probably two years ago, Mm -hmm. I think. We offered it first as part of a teacher training program that I lead in Franklin, Tennessee called Moonbeam Yoga Teacher Training. Mm -hmm. And we incorporated it into part of the 200-hour training because Ricky and I firmly believe that Mm -hmm. all yoga teachers Mm -hmm. need to be aware of trauma. We have no idea what people's stories are and what people are bringing onto the mat with them. Mm -hmm. And when I'm talking about trauma, I'm emotional trauma, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which can manifest as physical trauma and can manifest as mental trauma. But Mm -hmm. really the heart of it is the emotional trauma and what people are bringing Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be really mindful because though it can be emotional, trauma lives in the body. Mm -hmm. Physically it manifests in the body and... So when people are moving their bodies through the yoga practice, things start to come up to the surface, as I'm sure you've experienced any time you've ever practiced yoga. Mm-hmm. We move, we're, things are moving yeah. 
energetically within us and stuff that we haven't thought of in years suddenly is up to the surface and we're, you know, sobbing in the Mm -hmm. middle of a pigeon pose or Mm -hmm. something like that. So it's important for yoga teachers to become aware of how trauma can arise in practices or um, people's awareness of trauma can start to come Mm -hmm. up to the surface during their personal practice Mm -hmm. and then how to hold space for that. And so that we're not re-traumatizing or re-triggering people, Mm -hmm. so that we're approaching people with a lot of mindfulness and a lot of compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the workshop and maybe Mm -hmm. what brings people there and then what, um, uh, you know, what the the workshop looks like? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. uh, So... Wait, I'm sorry. Will you repeat the question just so I can have it yeah, all fresh in my just, mind? Um, what, what brings people to a trauma-sensitive okay. workshop? And then also to just talk a little bit about the workshop, what you do. Okay. And, yeah. So people come to the workshop for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's people who work with trauma survivors, whether it's yoga teachers or counselors or social workers or mm-hmm. anyone who could possibly work with trauma survivors on Give any me a level. a few examples of... Yeah. So, um, well, like you, for example, you know, mm-hmm. you weren't working on a therapeutic level mm-hmm. with a trauma survivor, but you were interviewing someone and you were wanting to understand the inner workings of trauma. Mm-hmm. So we have people like that that are simply interested in, like, what does trauma mean? How does this affect people at large? And, mm-hmm. you know, as you start to learn about it, you figure out how these pieces of the puzzle kind of fit together. Mm-hmm. And then we have had um, acupuncturists come in who have this subtle understanding of trauma that are wanting to figure out how, how this works and how can they better serve their clients. Same with yoga teachers and mm-hmm. counselors. I mean, counselors, we're taught talk therapy primarily mm-hmm. is our tool. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding out now is a lot of the research is showing talk therapy is not as effective as, you know, for, tra- for trauma, for mm-hmm. PTSD, as we would hope or mm-hmm. like. And so we're seeing that because uh, we're recognizing this link of the mind and the body working together. Mm-hmm. So if trauma is living in the body, then we have to address the physical mm-hmm. body in order to heal the emotional body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, counselors wanting to come in to learn some skills that they could incorporate with their clients in sessions or Mm -hmm. in groups. Mm -hmm. And so we have people like that, you know, professionals. And then we have people who identify as trauma survivors who are desperately wanting help and wanting to know that healing is possible because many of us have lived sometimes silently with trauma eating away at us and not really knowing what to do or how to help ourselves or even who to reach out to. Mm -hmm. And so I think with the movement of yoga becoming more westernized or people in the West gravitating to these mind-body practices, we're having seeing all these doors open for people who Mm -hmm once would have stayed silent and suffered silently mm-hmm. uh, or not, not necessarily even silently. Sometimes we're suffering and we are unconsciously taking out our anger, our anxiety, our 
rage on the people around us Mm -hmm. without even knowing why we're behaving the way we're behaving. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a lot of people who are wanting to understand what is trauma, how does it affect people, and how does it affect me, and what are the tools that I can discover and implement into my life to help Mm -hmm. resolve all Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm these confusing things that I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And then just talk a little bit about what someone could expect if they came okay. to a workshop. Yeah. So first we, Ricky and I always want to set the tone of compassion. That is like our number one approach to any group is that we meet each other and ourselves with total compassion radical self-acceptance and that everything that is shared in there stays in there. So it's a really, really safe environment that we're creating. Safety is so important for trauma survivors because often we've lived in a state of fight or flight. And if we're in fight or flight, Mm -hmm. it means we're perceiving that there's a threat somewhere. So uh, many of us are walking around this constant fear uh, of of life. Mm -hmm because that's what we've been taught, that life is not safe. So we establish that sense of safety and that sense of compassion, and then we like to provide information about what happens to the brain, what happens to the body when you experience trauma, and what are some of the behaviors that evolve from trauma, things like... um, I'll speak for myself, codependent behaviors, right? Always like living on edge, always trying to control or manipulate a situation so that it works out in what you perceive to be the most favorable thing uh, or the most favorable outcome. And, um, I mean, it can manifest in so many things like addiction or, um, repeating patterns of abuse and so on. I mean, it's really endless or it can not necessarily even be outward or physical abuse towards others, but internal abuse, Mm -hmm. things like cutting or uh, just limiting negative Mm self-talk. So it comes out in a lot of different ways. And um, anyway, so we explore all of that and how that might look for you as an individual or for clients if you work with clients. And then we, after exploring a lot of the information behind it, it is the physical exploration. So we engage in a trauma-sensitive yoga class. Trauma-sensitive yoga was originated by David Emerson, Bessel van der Kolk up at the trauma center. Mm -hmm. And so Ricky has been trained and certified in trauma-sensitive yoga, and she specializes in that. So she leads that portion of the workshop. Mm -hmm. And Ricky and I actually recently graduated from our 300-hour shamanic yoga teacher training. And so we've been incorporating some shamanic practices, which are some ancient Native American healing practices, Mm -hmm. into the workshops and really just trying to give people as many tools and resources as possible, things that they can actually take Mm -hmm. home with them and start to practice at home. Mm -hmm. Because the work works. I mean, if you are dedicated to these different types of practices, you will see 
huge improvements mm -hmm. in eliminating your whatever symptoms mm -hmm. you're experiencing from PTSD mm -hmm. or trauma. Mm -hmm. And then finally, to kind of wrap it all up, I like to explore Joseph Campbell's hero's journey mm -hmm. and how that relates to trauma recovery. And so we're trying to give people all these different layers to mm -hmm. understand trauma because everyone is going to learn and understand in different ways. And so just like healing trauma, you have mm -hmm. to approach it from so many layers. Right. We try to present the workshop in the same way. So how is a trauma-sensitive yoga class different from a regular yoga class? Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of different things that are, a lot of things that are different. So in trauma-sensitive yoga, words matter. Everything we say as a yoga teacher matters. Everything is an invitation. Mm -hmm. You may have been in some yoga classes where everything is like a demand or a cue, like step your right foot forward, lift your left arm up, whatever mm -hmm. the cues might be. In trauma-sensitive yoga, everything is an invitation. If you like, you might step the right foot forward. Mm -hmm. If it feels okay, maybe the left arm lifts up. Notice how this feels. So I'm giving some examples of how we mm -hmm. might cue. Mm -hmm. One of the things with trauma is that we tend to feel disempowered. That's what trauma does to us. It disempowers us and it disconnects us from ourselves and from the world. Mm -hmm. And so through things like language and how we word and how we invite people and give people choice, we're teaching people through the practice how to rediscover a sense of choice or how to mm -hmm. re-empower themselves. Because through empowerment and through creating new connections within yourself, mm -hmm you're helping to heal trauma. Mm -hmm. That's the essence of it. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I said, everything is a choice. Um, there are certain poses that we may not practice because they can be triggering. Things like happy baby pose, if you're familiar with that, you're reclined on your back and holding onto your feet with your legs open, which can be triggering for certain populations who've experienced any type of sexual assault or mm -hmm. rape. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there's certain poses that we don't practice. We also, we don't call them poses. Mm -hmm. We call them forms or shapes. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that also comes back to language. Through choice, we're teaching people that they're able to trust themselves again. And by trusting yourself and gaining that sense of worth again and sense of compassion for self and sense of acceptance for self, mm -hmm. we're able to begin to trust in the world, and trust in other people, or be able to discern who we can trust and who we cannot trust. Mm -hmm. And and ultimately, that that's the goal mm -hmm. because so many of us live mm -hmm through life without the ability to trust. It's like once that trust has been violated, once you weren't able to protect yourself from whatever mm -hmm. trauma yeah. there was, uh, it's easy to lose faith mm -hmm. in life itself. Mm -hmm. So before we go into um, the hero's journey and how you use the hero's journey in, um, in a workshop, mm -hmm. um, are there 
trauma-sensitive yoga classes across the country? Are there workshops like yours? So if, if there's a listener who's not in Chattanooga right. that's interested, is there a way that they can find out about this type of workshop? You can go to, I think there is a registry on at the trauma center. I believe it's traumacenter.org. Mm-hmm. It may be something different, but I'll if you find Google... It and yeah. put a link in the show notes. If you Google the trauma center, mm-hmm. they have a list of registered trauma-sensitive yoga teachers. And so it's possible that you'd be able to find some who are in your state. And there's also a lot of people who are not trauma-sensitive certified, but who may still have the knowledge and wisdom Mm -hmm. of how to uh, incorporate a lot of these Mm -hmm. skills and these tools Mm -hmm. that could still be helpful. Um, I'd have to think about, and there's lots of workshops out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you use the hero's journey in your workshop. So the hero's journey is a circle or cycle, and we start and end at the same place. And we go counterclockwise because it's an undoing process. And so we explore that how trauma itself is an undoing process. As we experience, we shift from the known world, our day-to-day life, experiencing trauma, shifting into the underworld or the unknown world. It's an unraveling. It is literally like the rug has been pulled from underneath us and we are completely groundless. We have no reference point often. And so we spiral down into that dark night of the soul where it's like what some might describe as rock bottom. And so for me, the hero's journey is fascinating and it's such a great map for people to start to understand the path that they can take to healing. So when I explore the hero's journey, I'm not really concerned with how we get down to the dark night of the soul. Because to me, the important part is the return home, Mm -hmm. which is the healing process. Mm -hmm. And so all of us have experienced trauma on some level. We've all experienced the dark night of the soul. Trauma is trauma. doesn't matter. So, again, we come back to that healing process. So I have broken down uh, what I call gateways, and we pass through nine gates to get back home to our our true self. And so we're exploring the different gateways, almost like, I don't know what a better word would be, except for like these mini rites of passage that we go through during the healing journey, where, you know, when we're at the dark night of the soul, sometimes it can be tempting to stay there in that heaviness because it's rock bottom. There's nowhere else to go. You can't get any further down from there almost. And so, you know, a lot of us can feel tempted to take up power there and to to completely identify with our trauma. Like, I am my grief or I am my depression or I am my anxiety. I'm this, I'm that. And uh, But the hero is not meant to stay there. We are the hero of our own story. So we have to take that journey and Mm -hmm. it's step by step. And sometimes it feels like, Uh, We're crawling ourselves out of the depths of hell, 
And, you know, it's like you can take several steps forward and then backslide. And then mm-hmm. we take a few more steps forward and then we backslide a little bit. That's what the healing journey is like. Mm-hmm. It's, and sometimes it can feel like a battle. Give me an example of some of the gates. You mentioned some there's the nine. Gates. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I don't have my worksheet in front of me, but... Just a couple of them. Yeah, so some of the gates, like I said, the dark night of the soul, and then uh, one of my favorite gates as we pass through that bottom quadrant is the um, gate of the revolving door of the victim and judge. And so that's kind of a threshold between the underworld and once we cross that threshold into the upper world or into uh, a state of reclaiming our power again and really doing some big healing work, we can easily get caught in that revolving door where we're just spinning around and around with the inner dialogue. So the victim might say, why did this happen to me? And then the judge, these archetypes, the judge will respond, well, if you hadn't done this, then it wouldn't have happened. And then the victim will respond, well, it's not fair. And then the judge is going to say, well, I told you, you needed to get out of there, but you didn't. And then it's just this ping pong match back and forth or the revolving door. You're just spinning around and around and around. And if we listen really carefully that we would actually discover there's a third voice. And it's the voice of our higher wisdom, our inner light, however you want to describe that. And that voice whispers ever so subtly to us, come home, step forward, heal. And so we receive that call to step out of that spinning wheel where we're constantly victimizing ourselves and then judging ourselves. And when we can step forward into or further along on the hero's journey, that's when the real healing starts. And so we start to realize you know what, maybe I am worth caring about. Maybe there is some part of me that's worth saving, worth healing. And so we choose to find those resources that, are, that we think could potentially help us. So things like counseling or trauma-sensitive yoga or Tai Chi or something. We're, we're reaching out for something because suddenly there is something within us that is really desiring to heal. And uh, so, you know, keep stepping forward and stepping forward. The final gate would be um, the gate of the inner light where you've processed everything. You've digested the trauma and you're no longer identified with it. And because you have seen the bigger picture of where your trauma fits into your own life story and how it fits into the cultural story, our collective story at large, we get to realize that we have a higher purpose, that the wound that once was causing our greatest suffering has now transformed into our most precious gift. And, uh, or, or, you know, the thing that once wounded us so tremendously, almost paralyzed us, has now become our greatest medicine. And so part of that final gate is understanding all of that and then realizing that it's your responsibility to share what you've received. Mm-hmm. And that's where the wounded healer comes in. You become the wounded healer. You 
have taken this tremendous journey of healing and now, wow, you have to give that back out to the world. You can't keep that for yourself. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to keep it for yourself. You're ready to share it in some way, in some meaningful way. And so for me, that's what these workshops are. That's my way of giving my medicine back out into the world mm-hmm. and through teaching yoga and through, you know, I work with private clients as well and doing private lessons uh, and sessions surrounding trauma healing. Mm-hmm. And do you find that because you have experienced trauma and, and because you're teaching a workshop on trauma that um, the participants can relate more to you or they're more likely to open up? Or could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I, I can only speak for me. I know that what I share is authentic and I'm, I speak from my heart and I'm sharing only what I know to be true. And... In shamanism, we call that we're standing in our song, or you could think about standing in in your inner light. And when you're in that place of your most authentic being, there's something about the energy that you emit that attracts people to you that says, I want what she has, and I want to heal like she is healed because I, I feel like, and I've told many clients this, I'm living proof that healing is possible. And I think, yeah, on some level that makes me more relatable because I have seen and I have lived through hell. Mm-hmm. And I've been to the other side. I've been to that dark side. And I've taken all of that as grist for the mill of my awakening and I've transformed it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. So let's say somebody maybe um, they have experienced trauma and they're, they're looking for something or some way to heal and maybe yoga's not for them. What other, what other um, outlets would you recommend? Anything that involves the body in a mindful way. Mm-hmm. So if yoga is not something that resonates with you, tai chi, qigong, um, you know, some people love running, Um, rowing, hiking, as long as it's done in a really mindful way, Mm -hmm. then there's going to be healing element to it. Meditation is one of the best practices a trauma survivor can pick up and can learn. There's so much because it is, it's starting to create that connection between the mind and the body. Mm -hmm. And there's hundreds and hundreds of styles of meditation. So you don't have to, you know, find that a Zen center, for example, and sit for hours and hours on end in mm-hmm. silence t- in order to meditate. Yeah. There's walking meditation. There's eating meditation. There's, uh, I mean, yoga itself is a form, can be a form of moving meditation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So let's say someone's never meditated before and they want to give it a try for maybe five minutes. Mm-hmm. What could they do? How, do? how does that work? I recommend... First, if you can find a teacher, someone who can guide you, that's amazing and can kind of set you up for success, teaching you different ways to sit and or um, different ways that you can meditate so that you are comfort- physically comfortable. There's also some amazing, even free YouTube guided meditations that you can find online. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, I'm, I imagine it's on YouTube, is Jack Cornfield. He has countless guided meditations that are Mm -hmm. so gentle, so compassionate. And for me, they guide me 
within mm-hmm. in such an easeful way, in such a gentle, beautiful way. So I highly recommend Jack Cornfield's guided meditations. Pema Chodron also has some really wonderful guided meditations. Mm-hmm. But just a simple Google search if you're wanting to do it in, yeah. you know, in, the, in a comfortable surrounding, or comfortable setting, that, um, that's a great resource. The Internet's full of yeah, can yeah. be full of good things. Yeah, maybe if you can send me a couple links mm-hmm. to meditations that yeah. people just to get started, yeah. I'll add those absolutely on the show notes. Um, so, is there anything else that you wanted to share before we get to the shout outs? And the shout outs <laughs> are just people, the mentors who yeah. have guided you along the way. And just people, you just, you want to, I know there's probably so many. There's but, so many, yeah. Um, but yeah, is there anything, mm. anything else that you wanted to say before we got to the mm. shout outs? Let me think. I have a question. Sure. <laughs> um, why did you agree to talk to me today? <laughs> this, this is your first podcast. This is my first podcast. So, so yeah. What inspired yeah. you to say yes? <laughs> yeah. Well, I told you every part of my being said yes as soon as I got your email about that. I think it comes back again to, well, first we have a connection. We've been through that training together, that workshop together. And so there's a sense of rapport and respect for each other. And it comes back to that final gate, the gate of the inner light for me, which is where I I like to dwell there as much as possible, that this is another opportunity for me to share my gifts and medicines with the world, to, to spread some light, to spread some hope, to reassure people who are suffering, whether silently or out loud, that healing is possible. And that, to me, is the greatest gift anyone could ever give. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 And anything else you wanted to share before the shout-outs? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe this kind of leads into the shout-outs. Okay. It's just this sense of deep gratitude for these ancient practices because yoga itself is at least 5,000 years old. A lot of these shamanic or... Um, Indigenous healing practices that I've learned over the past year are ancient, I mean, timeless, really. And because they're so ancient and they've endured for all these years, there is evidence that they, they work and that people throughout time have needed healing and wanted healing, and we've been able to find them through these tremendous practices. And so gratitude for the practice, gratitude that I have had the fortunate opportunity to even be introduced to any of these practices and be able to share them. Yeah. And all the teachers, the countless teachers who've come before me, who, uh, who have done their work to, to discover or create these types of practices. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. <clears throat> Any other people you want to mention? Or? Oh my gosh, so many. <laughs> oh man. Again, all the teachers who've come before me, everyone from Ricky to Savannah Yoga Center to Holly Corey, 
trying to think of the, the timeline of all the all my professors through my master's degree program and then through my internship at the counseling center at SCAD uh, at Savannah College of Art and Design. And then in Tennessee, I've met some of the greatest teachers ever in Tennessee, in Franklin, Robbie Short, and all the wonderful teachers at Half Moon Yoga, and um, and then here at, in Chattanooga, Toes Yoga, and then recently at Peace Strength Yoga. I've been also teaching there. And then Dolly Kalp, who is my teacher from my most recent shamanic yoga teacher training, she has helped guide my way or guide me back home to my heart in ways that I never knew were possible. So, and gosh, all the students I've encountered over the years too, because I've learned so much from my students just as much as they have learned from me. So yeah, yeah, it's like the spiral dance, the hero's journey. It just, it keeps going and going and Mm -hmm. going and we it never ends and so that to me is like this whole experience of teaching and yeah. and learning and being the student is that you never reach that final destination we're all linked together mm-hmm. through that web or through that spiral so yeah yeah well this has been really good yeah thank you thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's been an honor <laughs> likewise mm-hmm. <laughs>